Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. We're here to talk with Cindy Rasico about healing the wound with your mother. And now in the case of COVID-19, that may be Mother Earth for us. Welcome to the, welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to be here. It's so nice to have you. Your book is called Finding Venerable Mother, a Daughter's Spiritual Quest to Thailand. It's a story of a suburban California wife becoming ordained as a Thai Buddhist nun in Thailand, no less. So I think the big question is, how does this happen? Uh, When we're going to find out from Cindy, um, and let me give a little background, Cindy, if you don't mind, uh, for your book. Um, Finding Venerable Mother, which is a great read. When Cindy Rasico moves to Thailand with her husband and son, she finds herself adrift in a foreign culture unprepared for the challenges she encounters there. On an impulse, she signs up for a conference where she meets Venerable Dhammananda Bhikkhuni, a Thai Buddhist nun who leads her on a spiritual journey from which there is no turning back. Set against a backdrop of glittering Thai Buddhist temples and the friendly smiles of the Thai people, this compelling memoir reminds readers that when we go forward with a truly open heart, faith, forgiveness, and love are all possible. Finding Venerable Mother is her first book, and it's published by She Writes Press, this may so cindy i just here i i really had to grab my um my my book of Tao, um which says that th- though the Tao of heaven has no favorites it's always siding with the one who has a pure heart so mm-hmm. um Thank you for your journey and your recounting of it. It's not easy to do. You really took us to places that I think were tough emotionally and spiritually and physically, and we'll, we'll get to all of that. But I think your first obstacle was actually inside of you, your, your own head. You, you had a lot of negative voices, as we all do, and I think women were especially susceptible to it. Um, you had a strong inner critic, and um, although you have a lot of positive energy, uh, physically, you were a dancer, and you know you've always been very mindful of exercise. You're quite fit. These inner critics won out at times, and your glass was half empty. Um, you've suffered from depressions, and I wondered: has this changed with your inner transformation in becoming a Buddhist nun? Uh, definitely, I should say that um, regarding ordination. Just so people are clear, what Damananda offers is what's called a temporary ordination. So, um, I don't want to get off topic here, but it's just that you go in for three weeks, take on the robes, shave your head, take on the vows. But when you finish that three weeks, you go back into your regular lay life. So, I don't um, have a congregation or anything like that I um, it was it's a spiritual transformational experience for me personally 
but um, and in my practice, but it just deepened and enhanced my practice. I didn't take it any further than that. Mm-hmm. So you've expired. Your your ordination is expired, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. but I, you're still yeah. here to talk sorry. to us and tell the story. No, you don't be sorry. That's I right. think if yes. if it's if it's if the journey you know if the journey is to the, the destination you're you're still we're all still on the on the path right and you've taken the journey That's so right. you're here to report That's about right. that but i wondered if it did right. make you overall enhance your your sense of well-being definitely definitely and i should say a little bit about the critical voices before i go into the next stage. Um, those were sort of ingrained as we all have experiences with our own mothers. And I should say that the, I think that the, at the foundation of our core as women and our identity is the relationship with our mothers. That mother-daughter relationship is key to our own sense of well-being and identity. So I had carried that all through my life. And basically, when I met Dominanda, she became almost like a surrogate mother to me. Her name in Thai is Luang Me, which means Venerable Mother. And in the time and uh, uh, relationship that we had together, she basically became like a mother to me and I like a daughter to her. And I had never experienced what I call unconditional love and acceptance. Someone with a truly open heart who was able to love me fully and wholly for who I am. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly what helped me transform. And it was so powerful for me that when in we came back from uh, Thailand. We lived there for three years, from 2005 to 2008. And when we came back, I really missed Dominanda. And although I continued talking to her via email and uh, occasionally Skype, I decided I wanted to go back six years later. And that's when I found out she was doing the ordination ceremony in December uh, I went back in January of 2014, and in December she was doing the ceremony, and I got so excited about it, I wanted to honor her and pay tribute to my teacher. And mm-hmm. when I went through that experience, it was like, um, if I can take a minute to describe that, there's a ceremony where all the women, and I was the only uh, non Thai-speaking woman and 122 women, they were all basically Thai, Uh, we walked up to her, you bow before your teacher, and she takes a lock of your hair and cuts it. It's a ceremonial beginning to the head shaving, which is part of getting rid of mental defilements like greed, anger, and delusion. But when I bowed, I wasn't feeling anything, and all these other women were crying and being really emotional, and I thought, hmm, what's wrong with me? But then as I approached her, um, I think I had probably numbed off the feeling because it was like this dam broke through. And all of a sudden, I was sobbing before her and kissing her hands. And it was like, you know, that kind of uncontrollable sobbing that I had as a kid when I would just, Mm -hmm. "Ah, ah, ah," you know, really let go. 
And it was an opening into my heart that I believe had been closed for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, closed for a reason because my mother was rather harsh, critical. She just, she wasn't a nurturing mom. She just wasn't able to do that. So basically, I was able to, mm, uh, let's see, how could you say it, undo maybe or open up that whole channel that had been closed for so long. And I was came out of that experience rather like elated. And mm-hmm. I was just glowing. And even though I shaved my head, there was, I didn't mind how I looked. Uh, it was a little strange because they shave your eyebrows, which I wasn't prepared for. But other than that, I really liked myself with a shaved head. It was like, a sense of relief. It was a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might even say freedom from some of the expectations and roles that we all have placed on us as women. So, yes, well, I Cindy, did come back. Yes, Cindy, yes. yes, you really, I think you really unburdened and um, you unburdened yourself of a lot of things. I would add, you know, the the male-mother relationship is also significant. It's just got different characteristics. Um, And, you know, that's a whole nother story. But I do believe that our relationship with our mother, no matter what gender we are, is the most significant. Um, And, you know, you you really, you know, came to such a touchstone in the book with that. And I think that that generation, I my likewise had uh, a mother who at times was quite, I would say, critical. And I think it was Partly that generation. I mean, there was a very high expectation that we should all perform better. You know, we were going through industrial America, and the next thing was to just keep, you know, elevating and upwardly mobile people were meant to be just getting better all the time. So that's what we were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the sacrifice Mm -hmm. sometimes of our sense of self, so our sense of self-worth. And I I think that, you know, I, I wonder about it in terms of we've talked about archetypes on this show, and there is an archetype of a nurturing mother. And somehow, collectively, it's embedded in our memory what a mother is, quote, supposed to be like you know, supposed to be accepting of us as we are. And it's something that we know about without having to know about it from experience. So that if you have a mother who's abusive or even verbally abusive, you're aware of that because you're aware that something else is supposed to exist. You don't know how that information got there. But when you went to Thailand and you um, shaved your head and just for listeners to know it's the photographs are in the book so there's a great photograph of Cindy glowing as you just said eyebrowless and shaved head uh, you're, you're quite a bit taller than than the venerable mother um, but you're you're lo- you are looking elated and you um, at the same time took off your wedding ring right for the ceremony oh that's right yes yeah, um, I. It was sort of a funny, funny thing. I asked. I'm still in communication with Dominanda, of course, and I sometimes go back and ask her. She asked for my wedding ring before the ceremony began because I went a couple of days early just to get kind of adjusted to the time change. And I asked her later, "Why did you do that?" And 
she said, I don't remember, I don't know. But my feeling was, as I look back on it, that she was trying to unburden me. There are certain, I liked what you said about archetypes, and there are archetypes and roles that we carry as women that are certain, for me, what I internalized was taking care of, doing for others, being at the behest of others, and I think on some level, she was trying to unburden me from that so that I could come into a deeper awareness and experience of myself with all, without all the necessarily social expectations and and um, trappings that those sometimes can uh, can inhibit us. Right. And the roles, right? The role of wife, the role of mother. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're quite, we're consumed by our roles. We have to do this because we're the wife. We're, you know, we're meant to do this because we're the mother. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, time is finite and our energies are also finite. So if we're devoting all of our energies to other people's needs, then we're not meeting our own. That's just stands to reason. So you, you right. know, you, you went to a place, both physically and spiritually and mentally, um, where, you know, you were free to pursue something which wasn't easy to be free enough to pursue. Um, I, I have to, I have to give, I think this just hangs in the air when we're talking about this perfectionistic voice um, that a lot of us have inherited from our mothers who meant very, very well and thought that they were doing the, what the mothering job was. Um, Mm-hmm. Anne, Lamott, Anne Lamott says, perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped mm-hmm. and insane your whole life. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth is, you will die anyway, and a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do it a whole lot better than you and have a lot more fun while they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a really powerful quote. Uh, From, that's that's yeah. wonderful. I've never taken it to the extension of death, but that certainly makes sense. Right, we're trying um, to control things. We're trying to control right, what happens. Right. It's not possible. So that's from Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing in Life by Anne Right, oh, that's a great book. Yeah. yeah. So in your I, history... I, I was triggered... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, if you were triggered, tell us. Well, I, 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 I did have a thought when you were talking about our mother's generation. I wanted to say something about my mother. Um. And and she did come through the Depression, and she went to law school in the 1930s. So we have an wow. example of a woman who maybe didn't fit the the archetype, as you were saying, of the or the socially expected norms of the times that she lived in. And she was at the top of her class, and as she related it to us years later, the men in her class wouldn't talk to her because they were so miffed about the fact that she was number one. But when I grew up with that as a role model, there was such a high level of striving and achieving that was so unusual, even for those times, that I kind of felt like i I don't think I can ever match that. I mean, she was larger than life in some ways. 
When we come back from the break, we're going to find out so much more. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with Cindy Rossico, author of Finding Venerable Mother. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS communications company. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cindy Rassico, author of Finding Venerable Mother, A Daughter's Spiritual Quest to Thailand. It's a beautiful sweep through that lovely country and through the emotional terrain of healing the wound with the mother. Cindy, you were telling us about your own mother, who was an extraordinary pioneer, it sounds like, because not many women of her age got a law degree, for example. Right. Yeah, I was um, basically, I think she was kind of an early role model for pioneering women who wanted to advance in a a professional career. And it was, I think she was way before her time. And so as a a mother, um, she always seemed a little bit unreachable, unattainable to me because she was so somewhat high on a pedestal. Like where I was, where other mothers were room mothers and baking chocolate chip cookies, my mother was always reading and had her nose in a book, which I appreciated later. But as a young child, I sort of wanted someone who could get down on her hands and knees and play with me at my level. That just wasn't who she was. Maybe, you know, there's also the dynamic of um, she she actually didn't get to practice law, right? There was another, you know, a lot of women made sacrifices during that period where, oops, you know, unbeknownst to them, you know, their children basically suffered for it because things were not in balance for themselves. You know, they'd gone through all this training, but then, you know, it's a lot to ask ask to say, well, that law degree, you know, right now you're going to be tending to the needs of your husband and family. It's hard to do. And I think, you know, they made a lot of, um, they made a lot of sacrifices and maybe one too many, you know, in terms of Mm -hmm. being with all of that. Um, When you were little, I thought you were a fascinating little girl. I thought you, at age four, you asked the question to your brother who was age five at the time, um, where is God? 
And I thought to myself, well, this is precocious. And he answered everywhere. Um, and I thought right. that was a pretty good answer. But it seems to me as though, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems to me you wanted some proof. You were looking for evidence and you were looking for this kind of physical manifestation of God and love. Um, and perhaps that quest even lingered uh, subliminally uh, all, all your life until you encountered Venerable Dhammananda uh, Bhikkhuni that became your Venerable Mother and who ordained you, albeit temporarily, in Thailand. Do you think there was always a quest going on in your life? Oh, definitely. I got chills when you said that. Yeah, it was basically, you're spot on. I was always searching for um, that larger connection, that benign being. And I must have known on some level that for me it was out there. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have asked the question. But I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Everybody else is going on assumptions, and, and I think you, you wanted to feel it, palpably, viscerally feel it. And I think that, right. that, that, might be, that might go some ways in explaining the difference. But you know what's great, I think, because you have this point of view of skepticism. Uh, you know, as a result, you're not really taking in everything, um, you know, verbatim. Uh, you're not taking people's word for it. You're questioning, you're doubting. And that's a really kind of healthy outlook. You get to, to Thailand and you write in the book that, you know, faith doesn't come easily to many of us, at least not to me. But we can create it, you found, through simple prayer, our hopes, our dreams, and our despair all rest in the arms of our divine maker. And I think like that's a big mm. statement. That's a big statement. You and what 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 all did you really mean by that? You creating faith through prayer. Well, it's a great question. I think that there's an element of the unknown in faith and that I walk to the precipice of it and I have to at some point take a leap a leap of faith, and that expression sort of says it all to me, because if I try to come from my rational mind of questioning things, I would never be able to satisfy myself. And I think it also goes to the matter of the heart, that when we come from our hearts rather than solely from our intellect, we feel the connection, we want the connection, we harbor that affection for the, um, the greater good, the, the commonality, the interconnection. And I think that uh, when I'm, as I'm thinking about it, that is an act of faith. It, um, it, it goes with what I said, I think, at the end of the book, where I said, when we go forward with a truly open heart, I think faith requires a willingness and an openness, and that that is not always present when I'm questioning or analyzing. Mm-hmm. Then you're in your head, and, um, you know, That's maybe... Right. 
Right. And what you're striving for, or what you were seeking too, was a feeling of being connected. And I think right now it's such a relevant concept because, you know, of course, we're struggling to remain connected to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I wonder, you know, there there's a lot of um, information out there that, you know, people are praying now more than ever that, you know, first mm-hmm. of all, for for a vaccine. And second of all, just mm-hmm. I wonder if it isn't just to get outside of ourselves and to try to make some kind of a communal connection. Um, and it's really, it's fascinating to me. You do talk about um, faith and that our dreams and our hopes rest with this divine um, maker. And I, I wondered, you know, there, there's a lot of variations on that. And I love that you kept it to states of mind because um, you know, I've been following Black Lives Matter attentively. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to the funeral of George Floyd with the Reverend Al Sharpton. And there's an unfortunate part. I mean, of course, faith is a huge uh, component of uh, African-American culture. And, but there's a, and that is extremely uplifting. Um, and even the song, the voices, which is not unlike chanting. Uh, and Buddhism, um, but there's a, there comes to a point where you know he was talking about the stack of bills that's on your counter, and you have to put your faith in God. And I think to myself, well, that's unfortunate because God isn't going to help the stack of bills on your counter. You have to take responsibility for those outcomes. Whereas you're really talking more about our perception of, you know, the stack of bills, I can do it, you know, I can take these steps. Um, and that that's the sort of divine intervention there. Do I have that right? Do you think it's more intangible? Can I just ask a question of clarification? I'm not understanding the word, is it, sac- I, I couldn't understand, was it sacri You said there's something on the counter. Oh, it's a stack of bills. So this is like a physical, like the mail has come. Your mail, your post mail, it's full of bills from the electrical company, the credit card company, Mm -hmm. the car. And, you know, it's just, I, there was a a gospel refrain and I'm, I'm really, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but there's a certain part of faith where I think one of the reasons that people have a hard time taking that leap is Mm. the notion that faith is going to solve each and every problem, including ones that, frankly, I've probably created my own if I've got the stack of bills there. Um, or, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Or, or my life, unfortunately, I'm disadvantaged and I can't, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where I am not um, a, of a privileged uh, position where I can hope to even come to a point where I can support my 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 living, my house, and my family. Those things are very real and systemic problems. They're not necessarily the ones that you put in the hands of faith. That's that's what I'm saying. Right. Okay, thank you. Um, Then I think that there's real cruelty and acts of hostility and um, situations that, first of all, I've never experienced, so that would be my white privilege. So I claim that fully. Um, And, and I think it's an and, not a but, I think in the realm of faith, 
it explores the question of can I go beyond that to affirm even in the face of the cruelty and the um, harshness and look towards a larger framework? Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't speak from a, obviously a position. I'm not in, I, I don't have that experience. But the question of faith, I think, is a different one. And faith, if we look at it from a religious perspective, if we look at the human being, what we're essentially wanting and craving is to make meaning and have a sense of belonging in our lives. Right. And I think that's, in in essence, kind of what religion is all about. So even with the person who has come to that, look, it, it comes to the, it comes down to the essential question, am I going to go forward in hatred or am, am I going to go forward with a willingness? And yes. I certainly can't answer that for other people. No. Um, my experience is not that of George Floyd or his family. So no. um, I um, wouldn't, I wouldn't even claim to do that, but I think it, it's a deeper question that we wrestle with in our souls. And matters of soul, I think that's what I was trying to say earlier, matters of the heart, may go into a realm that's deeper and beyond our intel, uh, the understanding of our intellect. Right. And I think that, you know, you've pointed some you've, really deep questions. <laughs> well, you know, you've, you've yeah. raised some you've raised some great issues. And, you know, the concept of injustice, and I have to think about Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, I have a dream. This is mm-hmm. the active use of faith to put forward a positive vision. So that, you know, it's part of what you were talking about, our hopes and our dreams. That's where Mm -hmm. faith comes in, because it's how we deal with the injustice that we're experiencing. Um, And as you say, you know, I can't speak to it from personal experience, but I could speak to it as a woman at a different level, and I can find compassion for it as a result, or just as a result of being a human being. Um, And as you say, um, finding a sense of belonging with one another. So I, I think, you know, I think you've really, you've really touched on some very wonderful um, boundaries, if you will. One of the evolutions mm-hmm. that came out of your search is that I feel as though you started taking responsibility for yourself in a way that you no longer expected others to be doing unreasonable things um, either that these expectations that were put on you by your mother by society you also we we transmit them to others right your teenage son Chris right. is with you in Thailand now is he going to have um, you know you were tra- taking him to this charitable event this altruistic experience and what does he focus on the cute girl I mean <laughs> and you <laughs> right. you you finally came to it right, that there were things that you had to take responsibility for. And I, I wondered about that in terms of your relationship with your husband as well. Did that evolve through this search? As, as Yes, it did. And I should say post-writing that book um, that I did separate from my husband and, and went through a divorce, although we're still on very good terms. Um, 
Yes. I think the the separation and individuation that I began in Thailand continued I continued on that path as you said in the beginning we it's a it's an ongoing journey and basically a lot of what was it uh, what was happening in my marriage was I wanted my husband to take care of me but then I could also blame him because he didn't meet my expectations. And part of what happened in the ordination experience, the coming deeper into myself, was I realized, and it was true of my mother, too. I think I was angry and blamed her my whole life. I kind of moved out of what I might call a victim role or one where I was, by that I mean blaming others rather than taking responsibility for myself, fully owning that. And coming into a deeper sense of, now, wait a minute here. I'm responsible for my own happiness. I'm responsible for my well-being. And what is it that I want? In all honesty, what happened was my husband and I were just going on different paths. I was going on a more spiritual path. And he's an avid sailor. He absolutely loves that. And um, I just wasn't that thrilled with that. There was deeper issues going on, which I don't have time to go into, of course. Mm. But um, that was kind of the surface understanding. It's like a plant that bifurcated into two stems. First it was one stem, and then it went off into two different directions. Well, if you don't mind my saying it, throughout the book, I I felt this possible tension or suspense about your marital Mm -hmm. relationship um, because uh, Damananda had also separated from her family in order to pursue her mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. as a spiritual leader. Right. And um, and I wondered, well, is this coming? You know, is this, you know, because there, huh. there is that tension. And I also wondered, um, we have a couple of minutes left in this segment. I wondered okay. if you feel as though... Uh, if you feel as though sometimes those of us who have grown up with a withholding parent somehow... We put that same thing out there. We, you know, gravitate towards people who are having the same issues and are unresolved and are maybe a bit withholding themselves. Definitely. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I think we recreate that which we know and that which we're familiar with. And uh, the beauty of life and inquiry, self-inquiry, is that it is a journey and we can begin to question and a change is possible. Yes, that's a beautiful thing. And with, yeah. Yes, I I do want to ask you um, when we come back from the break, and I, I think that it's really lovely. Thank you so much for sharing this. I didn't know that about you, and I'm sorry for the trauma of a divorce, but it sounds as though you've enabled yourself to now start a new chapter, and we're going to come back from the break, and we're going to hear about that, and also how this process really worked for you. Um, and when we come back, we're going to find out so much more about how it actually does work. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with Cindy Rossico, author of Finding Venerable Mother. Mm 
Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cindy Rasico, and she is the author of a new book, Finding Venerable Mother. I'm going to give you a little spotlight on Cindy. She is a retired marriage family therapist. Her life has been a spiritual journey that took her on new dimensions when she and her family moved to Bangkok, Thailand for three years. There she met her spiritual teacher, Venerable Damananda Bhikkhuni, the first fully ordained Theravada nun, and that was an encounter that opened her heart and changed her forever. The deepening relationship led to writing her memoir, Finding Venerable Mother, A Daughter's Spiritual Quest to Thailand, which chronicles her adventures along the spiritual path. And Cindy, you've been talking about the need to belong, the need to connect, and that being a primary force in your search. I really believe that this is getting stronger all the time as witnessed by the number of people who are meditating, who are um, connecting um, through, you know, yoga retreats. And is it a kind of answer to the consumerism and the all-out garishness of Western life? Strip mall after shopping mall, you know, you went to a calmer, more tranquil place. Do you think that has a role right. in it? I think that, that we're all in a place, I think, I think of what we're being in as a giant pause. And I was just writing an essay yesterday and it, it occurred to me that I'm kind of defining this moment in time <clears throat> a little bit, I want to, I don't know if incorrectly is the right word or misguided is the right word. I'm thinking of myself and being newly divorced and isolated as somewhat lonely. But if I begin to think of this time rather than isolation as one of incubation, mm-hmm. one of cultivating and almost like brewing as if uh, I'm getting ready, we're getting ready, we're remaking ourselves, we're rethinking, we have to stop. We have to take a look at certain issues. And I'm not saying everyone is inclined to do that, but we've come to a halt in many ways and it's, it's, it's our time, it's our chance, it's an opportunity 
to look at the issues that you're talking about and to refocus on what is important, what is important to us in our lives. And I think we're out of whack, if I could say so. And I've always heard Dhammananda talking about the consumerism, that it takes us away from that which truly matters, the human contact, the human connection. And I also think that in the United States, it's funny, I was just talking about this on my morning walk, that we are incredibly individualistically inclined, whereas if you look at other cultures in the world, they're much more inclined to be community or communally oriented. So I don't know what will come out of this time period, but I do look at it as one of incubation. Well, I love that word incubation, and I think you're spot on. Uh, We are making a kind of correction, hopefully. And I think that the point of the United States being a place of survival of the fittest, I mean, every Western country is developing consumerism there that's rampant unfortunately um you know sometimes when you get into a small village somewhere you're very you know you're happy because you're relieved of all of that but i do think that you know what you're talking about we've got concerns now covid19 has spelled out one of the disasters that's coming out of not taking care of mother earth and um Mm. that is something Mm -hmm. that we're going to have to address and if we are going to really create a correction that we are going to have to take a look again at carbon footprints, carbon emissions, and really make serious commitments to these things that are going to just de facto involve less consumerism, more joint effort, less individualism of, um, well, I, you know, I can do it. So, you know, therefore, you know, I can do it even if nobody else can do it. Not necessarily, you know. I think mm-hmm. we are going to have to, we're going to have to pull together. You're absolutely right. Um, and I, I think that it is a time when, you know, we could come out of this potentially better. Let's just, let's just keep that thought. Um, I really, right. you know, I really think that in some ways, you know, when you were going through your ordination and you cried this river of tears, uh, you were shedding old selves and you were making way, you were mourning that old self that was falling away. Um, And um, Damananda said to you, you know, it's okay. People often cry when they first arrive. You build a wall around Mm -hmm. yourself and that Mm -hmm. wall starts to crumble. You allow that soft Mm -hmm. you to come out. And that's what I really wonder about. Isn't it time for us to let the soft us come out? The one that really does want to connect to these things and not turn away from the concerns we really have. Um, so it's that recognition of, you know, kindred spirits finally. And, um, you know, right, you, and there's, there's a, go ahead. No, I was going to say you, you went metaphorically and literally on this journey, journey. So you're back to tell us about these things. I think it's marvelous timing. Right, right. And there was an, uh, I want to add one thing to what you said, which you beautifully said that sometimes We just need to stop and experience the feelings, experience the pain, experience the loneliness. It is through feeling and actually taking time to be present, which is what all this meditation and Buddhism and um, and mindfulness is all about. 
that we come into connection with ourselves and only through connecting with ourselves deeper, I think we can make a deeper connection with others. Absolutely. And I think not turning away, not being able to, you know, avoid because we can't avoid too much right now. We're stuck at home and we're stuck with ourselves. So there's a whole lot less that we can deny. Um, In addition, I read, I read your, I read your book um, just weeks after the passing of my own mother. So there was a lot of resonance with that. And um, I feel as though, you know, I had to sit with a lot, you know, I have had to sit these weeks with a lot of um, grief and tender remembrances of her. But I think you're, I think the part about facing emotions versus um, covering them up is, is vitally important. Um, You say that um, you, learned the paradigm of what it meant to be feminine and and empowered because Damananda was both vulnerable and strong at the same time. Can you talk about how that dynamic works? Sure. First, let me say I'm sorry to hear about the passing of your mother. Thank you. Um, Sure. She was lovely. Yeah. The thing that was so powerful for me is that using the word powerful there um, in our in my growing up and in my way of thinking this the, the male and the strong and the kind of the hard and the fast and the clear and the right and the, um, the almost the the soundness of that was sort of imprinted on my mind. And then what I found with Dhammananda was, no, wait a minute. There's a whole power with the sense of vulnerability and kindness and compassion that carries a far more potent message for me than someone who is um, outrightly so sure of themselves or so smug or so... Uh, there's a hierarchy, that's what I'm trying to say, there's a hierarchy in what I perceive to be our current culture with men in power positions, although, of course, this is changing. But um, what I saw so beautiful about Damananda was the truth in the feminine way. And the feminine way, to me, is one of truth and beauty through vulnerability, that's not a message that I got as a ch- uh, as a child. Tears and crying and being sensitive and feeling was all sort of uh, tab- not taboo but poo pooed, and there wasn't really room for that in my experience growing up. Nor necessarily is there still wide acceptance for that in our culture. But you see more and more of that coming to be expressed and women stepping forward in the Me Too movement, which really honors that sense of the wounded and the powerful at the same time. Well, it's... um it's it, it's validating experience too, and the wound, which I think we weren't allowed to talk about, you know, I think that coming out, it's it's not just um, the sense of justice; it's the sense of validating and being witnessed. 
um, is incredibly powerful. And I want to come back to, you know, you were talking about being a questioner always. And, you know, your sister Ellie was always mm. the, she was the type A personality. So it, there was a contrast <laughs> there. You know, you, 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 were, you were kind of wandering in your mind and she knew. And, you know, it is a masculine feminine equation. Um, and I have to go back to you being um, a marriage counselor and therapist as well. Is there something to the idea of a wounded healer? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that the healers who have been most important to me in my life are those that have lived through their own pain and their own trauma and come to accept and uh, integrate that within their own being so that they can better relate to the people who are going, their clients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think, I think all, a lot of, I, I think to be alive is to experience as a human being, which that's what we are, <laughs> is right. to experience pain and suffering. And so in that sense, I would say we're all wounded healers, those of us who gravitate towards the healing professions. Absolutely. And you talk about how if your mother were alive today, you'd tell her how much you loved her, how much she inspired you, and how much she meant to you. And I totally relate to this, Cindy. I have had Mm. a very challenging relationship with my mother periodically, and I feel exactly the same way now that she's passed, and the same um, thought you say about when I look back on my mother's death and the way it happened, I realized she died exactly the way she wanted. She had a dignified death, and I was proud of her. This is a quote from Cindy Rasico in Finding Venerable Mother, and I share those thoughts. I absolutely relate to that, and I think that, you know, you do forget the Political. You set aside the um, the Sturmendrang, and you remember the good. You start extrapolating the good um, and the kind of meaningful nuggets, and that's what you start to focus on. Uh, I think that this is a, a real great takeaway. We have just a couple of minutes um, to until uh, break, but I I wondered okay. if you. You know, I wondered if you um, feel as though, you know, this kind of, it's kind of transcendent, right, to come through this passage. Absolutely. And I love the word that you used earlier, archetype. You know, uh, the heroine, the heroine's journey coming through the obstacles and the pain and the uh, predicaments and the trauma into acceptance, I think it's also part of if I might say it more simply, of growing up, Mm -hmm. realizing that I'm a human being, she's a human being, and being able to separate out and take her life in perspective with the brief time we have left. She was uh, a child of immigrant parents, so there was a real tendency towards survival in her. And um, that shaped her character. Absolutely. And once I understood that, like you said, seeing her... Yes. I think you used the word political. The, it, seeing her in her historical and cultural perspective gave me more empathy. 
More uh-huh. empathy, more compassion. And we're going to close yes. now, Cindy uh, Rasico. Finding Venerable Mother is a gift. And thank you so much for being with us. You can find Cindy on Instagram, Facebook, Cindy Rasico, author. And when you're going through life, just remember that we want to, um, we want to honor the compassion that we found through this quest. Pick up the book for your spiritual journey and be well until next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.